this. And if you were to do a quick search on the Googles, uh, if you were to jump on the internet and throw in the words enlightenment or illumination or illuminated or, or any of those ideas on how to see clearly how life works best, how to see clearly how the world works, how to, how to see clearly how to be an illuminated person. If you were to throw that into a search engine, you would get a whole host of results from all over the internet. You get a host of blogs and opinions and thoughts and even what some might consider scholarly articles all trying to instruct us on how it is that we become illuminated people. Of course, in our bumper video, Oprah has her view and Morgan Freeman has his view and everybody's got an understanding of what they think it means to be an illuminated person. And I believe that that comes from a shared human desire, listen, to not have the world be opaque, to not have the things of this life be obscured, to understand that, that we actually see with some measure of clarity how to find the path to live life at its best. A certainty that we are seeing God and the world and ourselves rightly. We want to know the way to go. In fact, one way we can put it is we want the path to how to live life or how life works best lit clearly before us. That's why the self-help section is so big. Do people still go to bookstores? I go to bookstores. That's why the self-help section is so big at the bookstore. Because everybody's trying to find the answer to a better life, to a better me, to an improvement, to clarity on their path. Everybody is searching for the same thing. And the problem is that in our search for the answer, we have to navigate through many competing answers. We have to navigate through many competing ideas. There are quite literally hundreds of competing claims, all counting their certainty to light the way to life at its best. And because of these many competing claims, even those of us who would say that we follow Jesus, who would say that we are practicers of the way of Jesus, even those of us who would call ourselves Christians, often we find ourselves, what, conflicted, pulled in different directions, trying to decide what is true even though we have encountered the whole truth. We often feel conflicted about which path to take. We feel torn and we feel pulled and this is exhausting, is it not? It is a tiring thing to constantly be trying to figure out how to live life at its best. And I understand the struggle, I do. With so many competing versions of reality, in our very, very pluralistic society, internal conflict is inevitable. External conflict is probable. And for this reason, I'm going to say it right out, out the gate, for this reason, I have had to look to Jesus who says that he is the light that brings light and life as a way to resolve my conflict. But even that has been a journey. In fact, when I got to university, I would say that I understood the mechanics of Christianity. You know what I mean by that? Like, you know the answers, especially Bible school kids. Y'all know the mechanics of Christianity, right? And I would say I understood the mechanics of Christianity, but I was not prepared to face the depth of pluralism that I would face when I was entering university. In fact, it wasn't in a science class that my faith was shaken. It's actually hard to find a good atheist in the scientific community now because the creative design of the universe has proven at the very least that this is not incidental. If there was a big bang, somebody lit the fuse, right? No, it was in a philosophy class. 
as my professor went to great lengths to set the truth claims of Jesus up against the ideologies of Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and agnosticism, humanism and atheism. And he went to great lengths in this effort to extract the social message of Jesus and the moral message of Jesus from the gospel of Jesus. And he, he said this, my desire is to show you that Jesus' basic teaching is congruent with all other world religions and most other ideologies and therefore, in order to do the things that Jesus said, you don't actually have to believe he was God. I would love to tell you that I stood up with great ferocity and said, you lie, sir. I didn't. I didn't, in fact, I was shaken. It sent me on this spiraling journey where I was trying to figure out what it is that I believed in light of the claims of these other worldviews. I experimented. I went to a Jehovah Witness church, got a crystal. Crystals have no power, just in case you were wondering. And I studied Buddhism and I tried to to discover the power within myself and that if I could just get deeper into myself into understanding myself and my story and the personal power that I have then I will find some peace but I didn't find any peace and so then I looked to Hinduism but when they started talking about karma and reincarnation and I can end up being a cow I abandoned that by the way that's what karma is okay please stop saying karma's gonna get me Karma is not about coming, what goes around comes around. That's not karma, okay? Karma is about reincarnation. It is a belief that if you live a particularly good life, and who gets to define good? If you live a particularly good life, then when you are reincarnated, you'll be reincarnated in a better state than in which you died. Buddhism, Hinduism, humanism. I couldn't get down with humanism because, you know, people. And so, I was like, I almost said something, but I don't know if I can say that. But it starts with an S and it ends with a K. And, and so I was like, well, I don't know about this humanism thing. And I got so twisted up in the, and, and, and God, I'm serious, this was, a, this was a dire time in my life. And I got so twisted up in the journey and in the reading, right, in the reading and, and, and trying to understand and try, that I got exhausted and I said, okay, I declared myself an agnostic because I'm too tired to try to figure this out. I designed my own <clears throat> flexible but basic moral code. Flexible Flexible, but moral, but flexible. And I decided that that was going to be the best way to live my life, believing that it would light the path to the way life lived should be and how wrong I was. There was no enlightenment. There was no new lit path. There was, there was no higher plane of thinking. No, what it did was actually release me into some of the deepest and darkest parts of my soul. 
what it did was loose me into levels of brokenness that I had no idea could even exist for me. I was walking in darkness and it literally almost cost me my physical life more times than I can count. Now some of you know the story of how I came around. I don't have time to tell that today. Uh, just it involves Captain Morgan's and a person's front yard. If you want to know the rest of the story, grab me afterwards. But I finally came to the end of myself and it was there at the bottom of that well, at the bottom of a deep darkness, at the bottom of a well where I could not figure my own way out that Jesus met me. And he led me, he led me out of And I share that to say to you that, that if, you, if you tune out, if you decide to jump and check on the game, if you, if, if you just go to sleep at some point today, just be careful, don't sleep too high, right? Remember that guy fell asleep while Paul was preaching and he died because he fell out of a window. So just be low to the ground if you're going to fall asleep during a sermon. That's the moral lesson from that text. If you lose everything else I say today, if you lose it all, please don't lose this. That Jesus is the light that leads to life. He is the light that leads to life. He is. And the reason why I share so many of my own personal stories is because I want you to know that I've tested it. Okay, I, I wasn't raised in church. I didn't adopt an ideology. I tested it. I tried it. I chased everything else. And I remained in darkness. And Jesus does not want us to remain in darkness. The darkness that shrouded my heart and mind, the darkness that shrouds some of your hearts and minds, it can only be illuminated by Jesus. There is no other way. Now, if you're not yet a practicer of the way of Jesus, if you're in here or, or joining us online, listen, here's all I'm asking for today. Suspend your suspicion for long enough for Jesus to tell you who he is. That's it. Suspend your suspicion for long enough for Jesus to make clear through his word who he is. That is all I'm asking for today. And for those of us who would say we follow us of the way of Jesus, we need to make sure we're following the right light. As with his first I am statement, uh, Jesus' words are recorded by his boy John. And he writes in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Now, this was not a contextless statement. In fact, if you can imagine with me, put on your imagination caps for just a moment. If you can imagine with me a big old party, a great feast. That was one thing Israel had that the church ain't doing good. Israel liked to kick it. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into... Mm, so y'all do know parts of your Bible. And so, imagine with me a big party. They would call it the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It was the seventh and last feast that God commanded Israel to celebrate in light of what he had accomplished for them. Again, I want you to imagine that you're a Jewish person and you're coming into Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people there. And there was only one express purpose for all of these people and that is to come together to remember and to rejoice. During this eight-day celebration, there was a lamp lighting ceremony that took place in the temple every evening. And the lamp's light is said, it's recorded by several scholars, the lamp's light is said to have filled every courtyard in the city of Jerusalem. And in the light of those lamps, there was singing and dancing all evening in celebration of God's salvation, but particularly 
particularly in celebration of God's salvation in leading his people out of Egypt in the Exodus and leading them to the promised land by his own light, a pillar of fire by night. In fact, if we gather nothing else from this historic scene, it is that the presence of God, what? It ignites worship and celebration. Or at least it should. It should. In this moment, inside of these great lamps, that's why I said Jesus, Jesus always knew what Jesus was doing. In the sight of these great lamps, In the sight of these great lamps. I have no idea what that was. And in the sight of this light, listen, this is why I need you to imagine it. In the sight of this light that is, that is filling the temple and flooding into the streets of Jerusalem, Jesus stands up in front of a crowd of people and he says, I am the light of the world. Can you see it? Can you see it? You're celebrating God's goodness to you around lights that you have manufactured. But what stands before you, God bless you, is the source of the light itself. Jesus' light metaphor, it was steeped in Old Testament allusions. Can I give you a few? The glory of the Lord and the presence of God led his people out, what? By the light of fire and protected them from people who would want to destroy them. God's people were trained to sing from Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my what? Light and my salvation. The word of God is said to be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And Isaiah tells us that the servant of the Lord was appointed as a light to the nations that he might bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. God's light is shed in revelation. God's light is shed in salvation. According to Psalm 44, 3, God is light embodied. And it is Yahweh in action. This had to be a pretty profound moment, a powerful moment. In fact, Jesus' declaration, and that's why I asked you to try to imagine this, try to imagine in the middle of this celebration that Jesus' declaration must have come with stunning force. He had it again. Last time he said he was the bread of life and that the manna that came down from heaven was not the true bread. Now he's saying that our little lamps, our little manufactured lights, they aren't actually the source that we need. His declaration must have come with stunning force and yet he doesn't let it hang in the air as some abstract statement. No, he follows it up by saying, what? I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So there's a promise in that, yes? Yes. There's a promise in that. Now, we all know what it's like to walk in the literal darkness, right? We know what that's like. We know what it's like to get up to go to the restroom or go to the kitchen in the middle of the night when it's dark only to run your toe into the side of something and want to cut it off. That happened to me this 
morning, dead serious. First service, I was limping. I was like, I'm not even sure my pinky toe is still there. Why is it always the little guy? I'm like, why are you always getting caught? Or to ram your knee into the edge of the bed? You know what I'm saying? Y'all felt that? If you got a spouse, all of us have been woken up by our spouse going, oh, God, mercy, help Jesus. Because it just ran into the corner of the bed. Why is that? Because darkness shrouds everything. Even a known path that you've taken many, many times becomes unnavigable when you don't have light. And what Jesus is saying here is the spiritual darkness is the same way. It shrouds everything. You don't know where you're going. You think you know where you're going. It may even be a familiar path. But if it's not being lit by the light of Jesus, it is shrouding everything. It shrouds our judgment. It shrouds our choices. It shrouds our perspective. It shrouds our direction. It shrouds our worldview on critical matters like justice and poverty and politics and human sexuality and community. It shrouds us. It doesn't allow us to see these things clearly. In fact, without the light of Jesus, we are literally at all times walking through the world in the pitch black. Thinking we're seeing. But in fact, one stumble away from some form of searing soul level pain. And the consequences of, of walking in the darkness spiritually far greater than a stubbed toe or banged knee. No eternity, listen to me, eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. Well, you say, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, do you believe in science? Because energy is neither created nor destroyed. So your soul, it must continue on in some form. You want to take a chance on that? If I'm wrong, no big deal. If you're wrong, if you're wrong, kind of a tipping point for me. I'll be brief. It was a conversation like that with my roommate James, Indian brother, love Jesus. And I was telling him all the ways that his ignorant religion was keeping him from achieving true intellectual greatness. And he said, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, so I'm quoting him, if I'm wrong, no big deal. You get to go on in whatever form you think you're going to come back in. But if you're wrong, if you're wrong, everything that matters hangs in the balance. And so what's the alternative? The alternative is to accept Jesus as the true light. Accept Jesus as the true light. Abandon lesser lights. Understand that he will light your path. His, his presence will beat back the spirit 
spiritual darkness. The darkness in our minds, the darkness in our emotions, the, 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 the quiet places and the things that we carry that we don't want anybody to know about. He'll get in there unafraid and meet it with the light of life. And his promise of salvation is far greater than any salvation Israel ever experienced. Why? Because he's not just saving us from some national power that wants to bother our body. He is saving us from the forces of rebellion and spiritual darkness that rose up against God and are behind every form of evil that we experience in this world. He says, I can't touch you when you're walking with me. And it's not just a rescue from darkness and a little glimpse of light. No, no, no. Hear the verse again. It is an ongoing life apart from all darkness. Why? Because you possess the very light of life. It's the truth, family. The world lies in darkness. Why? Because it rebelled. It rebelled. Because our proto-parents decided they wanted to be God instead of follow God. You know, I know you created all of this, but um, I think I can manage it better. And so the world broke contact with the only source of light that it had. And Jesus says, I'm here to mend that. I'm here, I'm here to build a bridge back to what you guys broke. I'm here to make it right. I'm here to be the light of life that, that, that brings it back to the world and sets it free from its bondage. And so what is the invitation to them, to you, to me? Follow Jesus out of darkness and into light. Listen, some of us, some of us are dealing with some deep darkness, some repeated patterns, some soul-gripping fears, and you keep trying to deal with it. You're dealing with it through counseling, and counseling is good, but, but, but counseling can't heal your soul. Counseling gives you tools to manage your emotional problems, to manage the process of healing from trauma, but you need something to touch your soul to heal it. It is an accompanying tool, but it's not the answer. And you're trying to manage it in your own strength. You're trying to manage it in your own power. You're trying to manage it with your friends. And eventually it consumes. The darkness consumes unless we follow Jesus out of the darkness and into the light of life. But who is Jesus to make such a profound claim? Well, his first listeners had the same question. And their response is an immediate rejection to what Jesus said. Look what they said. They said the, the, to him, you are bearing witness about yourself so your testimony isn't true. Did you hear anything I just said? That, that, I, I have to imagine Jesus thought that from time to time. Like, what conversation are you having? We're not talking about law courts here. But they can't get their mind beyond that. They don't even realize the enormity of what he's saying. Jesus is saying that he is God. And, and if they knew what he was saying, they would charge him with blasphemy. But because their eyes are so shrouded by the darkness of their religion, 
they can't even see what Jesus is actually saying. Just a quick note, you can have religion and not Jesus. You can have some good old-fashioned religion and still be missing Jesus. And that's exactly what they were doing. They had religion, but they were missing Jesus. And so rather than charge him with what he's actually saying, that he's God, they say, well, your testimony doesn't stand because you don't have sufficient witnesses. They charge him instead with bearing false witness. Well, Jesus responds and he says, well, my testimony is true. Why? Because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. There's a word in there for somebody. But you don't know where I come from and you don't know where I'm going. You don't know where I'm coming from and you don't know where I'm going. So how can you determine what is true coming out of my mouth? But they can't see this truth about Jesus. Why? Because they're judging him by human standards. And I thought about that a lot this week. And I asked myself the question. I'm going to give it to you to ask yourself. I'm not going to ask you because I don't want no smoke today. So I'll give it to you to ask yourself. How are you judging Jesus by human standards? That's what I asked. I said, Leon, how are you judging Jesus by human standards? How are you shrinking Jesus down to fit the worldview you want to have? How are you shrinking Jesus down so that you can live with whatever moral flexibility you want to have to do the thing that you want to do? How have you diminished Jesus in such a way that you can't even see him clearly? There's questions I ask myself. There's questions I ask myself. I wanted to put myself in the seat of the Pharisees and accept the fact that very often I judge Jesus by my words rather than by his own. And I don't want to stay there. It's as though they are trying to measure a straight line with a crooked ruler. Or, or another way that I thought about it is it, it's as though they are in an art gallery critiquing the stroke technique and the color palette of the paintings even though they've been colorblind their entire life. You can't actually see what you think you're seeing. Jesus is here in living color. You're still looking in black and white. They're judging him according to human standards and they cannot see him. Well, Jesus closes the conversation and I'll get out of your way here in a few with this. He turns to their law to show them that even on their own grounds, they're still taking an L. In your law, it's written that testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So even according to your law, I'm right. Because the other person that bears witness about me is the one that talked from the sky when I got baptized. Y'all heard that, right? And he's the one that I keep telling you over and over again. When you see me, you see him. When you see me, you see him. When you see me, you see him. When you hear me, you hear him. He's the one that sent me on my mission. He's the one that empowers me to do the things that I do. He is the one that spoke life into the little girl that I raised from the dead. He is the one that empowered me to have somebody touch the hem of my garment and be healed from years of bleeding. I have a witness. The problem is you don't know your witness because you can't see me. You can't see me. 
sad. It made me sad. I was, at first I was like, ha ha, they dumb. But then I got sad. I mean, truly, what must it be like to know the Bible cover to cover and not see the revelation that you've been praying for? The Pharisees knew the Bible cover to cover. They knew it. They knew the prophets. They knew the words that were spoken about the, the child who would be born of a virgin. They knew, they knew about the suffering servant. They knew about the promises of the Lord. They knew that David's throne would be established forever. That's what God told them. They knew all of these things. Can you imagine what a sad state it is? To know and still not see. It made me sad for them. It made me sad for me. <laughs> to, to ensure, listen, to ensure that I don't learn how to be a Christian so well that I forget that Jesus is still at the center of this thing. But they can't see it. And so what do they, they ask a dumb question. This is why I was laughing at first. They're like, where is your father? Oy vey. Right. <laughs> really? This is John chapter 8. That's important because this is not their first interaction. Where's your father? They're asking the wrong question. They're asking the wrong question. And by their question, they're admitting that they really don't know who God is. Why? Because only God can open our eyes to see Jesus truly. Jesus and this revelation of himself as the light of the world, as I said, it took place in front of these great lamps in the court of women. And I could not help but be struck by the irony that you have thousands of people at this temple, at this temple, worshiping and celebrating the deliverance of God and they're standing in the temple is the purported reason for having a temple in the first place God's presence on earth and they're in their own house of worship they can't see the God that they have been waiting for but we have an opportunity to respond differently today and I'm not just talking to people who would say that they're not yet followers of the way of Jesus because here's the reality. There's a bunch of us who have prayed a prayer or made a profession, but we're still following lesser lights down darkened paths. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, that's not for you. No, believe me. Believe me. And walk in the light that leads to life. Walk in the light that leads to life. That is the invitation before us. I recently heard a story of a man named Stephen Lungu. And I'll try to be brief here. It was a really powerful story. And his journey to seeing Jesus as a light of life is both a sad and triumphant. You see, he was born to a teenage mother who was married to a man 20 years her senior. And it was not a happy marriage. And so... She spent a lot of her days drunk out of her mind. One day they went into town and 
three-year-old Stephen, three-year-old Stephen, and her, his little brother and their little sister, they were all together. And their mom set them down in the middle of the town for a second and said, I'm going to run to the restroom. I'll be right back. Two hours went by. She never came back. And these three children were left in the reluctant care of an aunt that they had. And apparently, Stephen's mother's propensity to run away jumped onto him because by the time he was 11 years old, he had run away as well, preferring to live on the streets rather than live in the home that was provided for him. In the midst of that, he was recruited into a gang called the Black Shadows. And the Black Shadows carried out violence and destruction all over the streets of Zimbabwe. Well, one day a traveling evangelist came to town to speak to thousands of people about Jesus in a large tent. And Stephen went to see the evangelist for one express purpose, to firebomb the event. He wanted to attack the event because if he attacked the event, he felt like he'd be attacking God. Right before they got ready to do what they were going to do, a brother stood up named Shadrach Maloka. What a great name. A South African preacher. And he stood up and he said, I feel the Holy Spirit has told me that there are many people in here today that are going to die apart from Jesus. Well, because they were only looking through human judgment, the black shadows took that as somebody having discovered their plot. Stephen was struck by his words. He came from the back of this tent and he threw himself at the feet of this speaker and he began to weep. That evening, he became a follower of Jesus. He experienced the light of Jesus' presence. His eyes were opened and the darkness that shrouded his life to that point completely dissipated. In fact, the next morning, so inspired by the decision that he had made, he went to the local police station and tried to turn himself in. The sergeant there at the desk looked at the long rap sheet, heard Stephen's story, and decided against all odds to just let him go. He hopped on a bus with morning commuters, and he, as he tells the story, he says, I was so happy that day about who God is and what he had done that I had to tell everybody, listen, I'm, I'm going to say this one time and I'll move on. When you've been transformed by Jesus, you can't help but transfer the knowledge of him. And that's what he did. And he spent his entire life doing that very thing, telling as many people as possible about the light of Jesus and the life that he provides. Well, here's what's crazy. Several years later, he was preaching at an event. And at the end of the event, he did a good old-fashioned altar call. If you're not a church person, an altar call comes in many forms and fashions. Okay, my favorite are the singing kind, right? But we don't have time. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Somebody went, oh, I know, I'm sorry. I, I got to take care of the babies upstairs. And people that's watching our kids, they, they got to be set free soon. You know, you know your kid, right? I know my kids. I'm like, and 75 minutes is enough for anybody whose blood is not in these children's veins. He got to the end of the event he was preaching and he did an altar call. He called people forward. This old woman comes forward, visibly worn for many, many years. And he begins to pray for her. And she receives Jesus. He finds out shortly thereafter that this old woman 
is the mother that abandoned him so many years before. As God has brought his story full circle. The light of Jesus changes everything. It is the only way you will see clearly. It is. It is. And here's the dangerous thing. The dangerous thing is you can follow the moral teachings of Jesus and the social teachings of Jesus. You can follow some of these other ideologies, some of these, even some of these other religions. You can follow them and you will be a good person. But good people don't go to heaven. Rescued people do. Other ideologies have come and gone, family. Other world leaders, political leaders that people thought were going to be their savior, they've come and gone. But Jesus has stood the test of time. And his resurrection put a period on every word that ever came out of his mouth. And so the invitation today is clear. Again, if you're not yet a follower of the way of Jesus, today is the day. Now, what are you waiting for? Most of us are old enough to have tried everything else. And if you are following the way of Jesus, then again, let's stop following lesser lights down darkened paths and then acting surprised when we can't see where we're going. How did I get here? Oh, I don't know. You veered off. Let's follow the light of Jesus all the way. In fact, I want to challenge you, encourage you and challenge you to do one of two things. If you're Baptist, you'll do very well at the first one. I want you to memorize this verse. <laughs> I'm going to get saved one day. I want you to memorize this verse. I want you to actually memorize it. And I want it to sit down in your heart in a way that is truly transformative. I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Memorize that. And if you're not there yet, I understand. It's a journey. Then maybe the simple prayer is to start. Just ask him. Show me. Show me how you are the light of the world. And when he does, actually follow. You see, I keep imagining our church I keep imagining our church as a church that is, that is truly illuminated, that is truly lit by the light of Jesus' life. And what a wonder it would be for us to truly be characterized that way. We would be a beacon of hope. We would be a light in consuming darkness. Listen, we would be a community that would break down the barriers and dissipate the disparities that have come to characterize our city and our world. But it starts with following the light of life, possessing the light of life, and casting aside all imposters. Father, I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would seal this word to our hearts and that we would experience the fullness of what you desire to do in us today through the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord God, that that your spirit would speak now in transforming ways
to assure us that what we've heard today is true and that it would make a defining difference in our lives as we follow you, the light of life. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus.